Good morning, Crosspoint. Welcome, everyone. So glad to see you. Really privileged to be here with you. And I must say, we normally don't do this, but I am going to do it this morning. So don't look around, but uh, I have to express my gratitude to the Lord and just my encouragement. Um, This morning, I met a, a wonderful young couple that is here for the first time. They happened to find us online and um, Jose and his family are here, his wife and three little ones, and they're here from Visalia. That's near Fresno, hours and hours away. So you know this saying that says uh, a church alive is worth a drive? Oh, you've never heard that one before? Yeah, it's true, it's true. Well, that's a little on the extreme, but Jose, welcome, welcome. Uh, We're really glad to have you. We also want to take this time to do a special recognition. We're going to do it right now. So I'm going to ask David and Christy Doolittle to please come up. Oh, they didn't know about this. They're surprised. Look at them. Oh, where did David go? Did he leave us? He was just here. Is he gone? All right. So we're not going to do it right now. We're going to do it when he comes back. We'll send somebody to go get him. I didn't say anything because he was just here right now. Don't tell him anything. <laughs> you should definitely know where your husband is. Now he was just here. He's always busy, so we'll we'll get him in here and um, and then we'll do the uh, we'll surprise him. All right, the double surprise. Now you're surprised, and he'll be surprised. Let me share with you some important dates that uh, we would love for you to be aware of. If you receive our weekly newsletter, that means you've gone to crosspointchristianchurch.com and you've scrolled all the way down, you filled out a simple contact form, and now we're able to send you emails and texts and such. And so every week, LV does an awesome job in sending out a newsletter, all kinds of great dates. So let me just share a couple of, of those dates with you. One is that on the 9th, we're going to have a motherhood event. It's like a women's event, and it's an all-day thing on Saturday. So if you're a mom, grandma, if you're hoping to be a mom someday, we would encourage you to be here and sign up. We're excited about that. The 10th, the day after on Sunday, Sunday evening, we're really excited about this too. We're going to start a young adults group that's going to be meeting here at church Sunday evenings from 6 to about 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll meet here on grounds, young adults. By young adults, I mean, some of you are thinking, like, do I qualify? Uh, we're thinking about 18 years old till 30-something, you know, early 30s or so. So anywhere, anyone around that, that uh, uh, age group, you are invited to attend and to invite someone and join us. We're going to have some uh, fellowship, some food, and, but it's going to be very focused on discipleship, you know, so... We're, we're really excited about that. That's on the 10th. That'll be the first meeting. On the 17th of April, we're going to have Resurrection Sunday. That's kind of like the, one of the biggest Sundays for us as Christians to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know next week we're going to have uh, some invitations for you to take out and just invite uh, people around you. And on the 24th, we're gonna have, we hope to have a baby presentation uh, event. So we don't baptize babies, but we do present them to the Lord along with their parents. And so I know we haven't done that in a while, and several people have asked me, so we're going to do that on the 24th. All right? You guys got all that info. All that info is online. And also on the 17th, we hope to have a special baptism day. So on Resurrection Sunday, we hope to have baptisms. And so I know a lot of people have also 
maybe not a lot, but several people have inquired about that and asked about that. So if that's something that the Lord will lead you to do and, and publicly express your faith and commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ in water baptism, then we invite you to talk to me, reach out to me so we know who you are, and we'll set that up. Deal? All right. Sounds good. Very exciting. A lot of stuff going on. So David, welcome back. <laughs> I would ask David and Chrissy to please come up. Surprise, surprise. We have a little something for you. A little recognition. So why don't you guys come on down? We're all set for you. So David Doolittle, for those of you who don't know, he's been at this church since before he can remember. Isn't that right? Uh, yes. That is correct. You want to come up here? I'll stop, stop. You see? That's... That's exactly his attitude, very humble and doesn't want the uh, spotlight. But today, David, it's not going to be like that, Christy. We're going to have you guys come up here. And the reason why we're presenting this gift basket is an appreciation from us to you for all the years that you have invested in our young people through Bible Bowl. So how many years? 20. 20 years. And um, that, that's amazing. I asked Patty to help us present that because I know her kids were benef you know, benefited from going through Bible Bowl. My children have, most of the uh, elders' children, many of your children. Um, yesterday was our culminating event for this season, and so we just want to say thank you. You guys are outstanding, taking our kids for weekends at a time. You understand what I'm saying? That's awesome. And uh, I'm kidding. And, and just pouring into them is something special. Um, so we thank you for all the dedication, all the time that you've invested. I know it's not easy working with young people, but you guys have always done it. And, and to me, a testament of your attitude is that you've always had a great team around you. And that means people want to work with you and follow you. Yeah, and so all of you, as they receive this special uh, recognition, you know, for the rest of you that, that have helped us out with Bible throughout the years, we thank you as well. But we just want to say to Christy and David, thank you very much. All right. Yeah, take it easy on that basket. I see a lot of sweets in there. You know, we want to take the time to recognize there's so many great things that happen here at Crosspoint, and they happen because of you, because of all of us together, and so um, you might be next. That's all I'm going to say, all right? If you're involved in ministry, we want to... We wanna, just recognize the fact that God is on the move and he's doing some great things in us and through us. And so we appreciate everything that all of you do uh, week in and week out. Very good. So at this time, I would like for us to take communion. So if you didn't grab one of these and you want to take communion with us, raise your hand if you didn't get one and we'll have somebody come by and, and give you one. So we have several, several takers. Raise, raise your hand, and uh, we'll do this together. And we're going to do something special today. I told you guys, right? I said, if I, don't say, if I didn't say it last week, we might not do it. So this morning, we're also, as we take communion, we're going to sing a uh, classic hymn written way back in the 18th century by Isaac Watts called At the Cross. Anybody heard that before? It's been around for a couple hundred years. All right. You have. Good. So let's make sure everybody has one. If you if, if you don't, and I just want to share a perhaps the best 
well-known verse in the entire Bible, which is John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If ever you feel like, man, I don't know what to tell people. I want to tell them about the Lord, but I don't know what. I, John 3, 16 is a great thing to tell them. For God the Father loved the world so much, and, and there we are, you and I, that he was willing to give up his one and only son. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave him up for us so that whoever puts their trust in him and what he did for us at the cross should not perish or be forever condemned, but that we would have eternal life with him. As Christians, this life that we see and get to experience is not it. For a Christian, your best life is always ahead of you. Isn't that awesome? And some of you guys are enjoying great lives, and praise God for that. And some of us are struggling, and some of us are going through difficult times. But for a Christian, no matter how good or bad things get here, our best life is always ahead of us. And what we're going to get to experience with life everlasting that we receive from the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing that we can imagine. And that should change our perspective on how we treat people, on how we uh, behave towards people, how we deal with circumstances and trials like we talked last week. And so... Keep that in mind and share that. That is the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when we take communion together, what a blessing to gather, to come from different places, get together and celebrate, remember, and proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you peel back the first plastic, You'll get the bread that symbolizes, it represents the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ that hung on that cross for our salvation. Let's take that together. And as you peel back the second layer, you see the juice that represents the precious blood of our Lord, the sinless one that bled to death on the cross in order that our sins will be washed away. Let's take that together. So let's go ahead and stand, for those of you who are able. So let's stand, let's pray, and then we're going to sing at the cross. And we're going we're to sing the chorus three times, and then we're going to sing a couple of stanzas. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you this morning for all of your blessings. And even as we say that, we realize that we are blessed beyond what we're able to even recognize or observe so thank you. Thank you for allowing us to meet in this special way at this time as your children, as your family, in order that we will raise up our voices to sing praises to you, that we will spend this time just meditating in your word and hearing from you and um, working out what it means to be your child and a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for everyone who's here. We thank you for what you did for us in sending your one and only son to die and make that payment for our sin. We thank you, we praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So as we stand and sing at the cross, we'll start with the chorus. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. 
It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It, and then the next answer says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done? He crawled upon that tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Last time. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Amen. You may have a seat. So songs like that have been sung for hundreds of years, and uh, it's a privilege to be connected throughout these generations and centuries with uh, believers from, from the past. So this morning... By the way, I think we're going to sing that one a couple of times uh, because many of us grew up with hymns like that. Some of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you, that's the first time you sing that song? Okay, that's like uh, some of you. All right. Okay, so most of you were familiar with it. That's awesome. So we'll sing that a couple of times and then we'll, we'll uh, sing other hymns as well. This morning, I am privileged to share with you a message entitled Hometown Rejection. Hometown Rejection. And what we're doing is we're going through the entire gospel according to Luke. We find ourselves in in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. We're going to cover 14 through 30 this morning, Lord willing. And it's, it's it's an important section in Luke's gospel. So Luke is writing to Theophilus, he's writing a narrative, he's telling us the story of the Lord from beginning all the way to when he is crucified, as we'll see in several months from now when we get to chapter 24. And um, in this section, for the first time, Luke begins to narrate or tell the story of our Lord's public ministry. And I'll tell you that Luke doesn't tell us everything, of course, John tells us, he says, look, towards the end of his, of his letter, John says, uh, in the gospel according to John, he says, and the Lord did many other things and many other signs that if we were to write them in books, it would be impossible, basically what he says. The Lord was so active in healing, in preaching, and all his teaching were awesome. He goes, if we would have tried to put everything in books, there wouldn't be enough room in this planet to record everything that the Lord did and said. And so... You know, Luke 
and the other gospel writers, they had to choose by inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit what they should include in their gospels. And so Luke chooses to begin telling us about the Lord's public ministry um, in, in Galilee where Nazareth is. But if you go to John chapter 2, all the way to chapter 4, you'll see that the Lord, after being baptized, uh, he, is, um, he does some things around Judea and Jerusalem that Luke does not record. So by the time Luke picks up the Lord Jesus Christ's public ministry in Galilee, and specifically in Nazareth, the Lord has already done some things that are recorded in John that the people in Nazareth have already heard about. Hope I didn't confuse everybody there, all right? But that's where we, that's where we pick up. And so Luke is not so interested in, in writing everything chronologically, and he's certainly not interested in trying to squeeze everything in that the Lord did. But he does pick up here in chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And what we're going to see is that at the, right on the onset, so remember, the Lord gets baptized by John the Baptist. He is driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil 40 days, 40 nights. And he, and he then begins public ministry, and then he returns to his hometown, where right off the bat, he experiences rejection. Rejection. And thus, the title of this morning's message, Hometown Rejection. And we're going to look at Luke 4, 14 through 30. The main, um, the main point this morning is this. God is glorified when he is accepted for who he is, not for who people imagine him to be. I think that's really important. God is glorified only when he's accepted, received by people who receive him and accept him for who he really is. Not, God is not glorified when he's accepted and received by people who don't really actually know him. And we're going to see what happens. We're going to see that interaction where people accept him, and then they end up, they end up rejecting him because, he, because he's not whom they thought he would be or should be. So I have three points to share with you. They all start with the letter R. So we're going to look at point one, the return home. Point number two is going to be the reception at first. And point number three, the rejection by all. Those are the three points that we're going to look at. We're going to go through Luke 4, 14 through 30. I got to say, I love people that have their Bibles and they're like looking through it. I think that's awesome, but we also want to have the verses on the screen for you to follow along because we want to make sure that you understand we are here to experience God, to know him better through the scriptures. We don't want to end up being religious people that have a false sense idea of who God is. Because for those people, in Matthew 7, 21, the Lord says, get away from me. I never knew you. You believed in somebody that you created in your imagination, you never, you never believed in me as I expressed myself through Jesus Christ and my scriptures. So that's, that's our responsibility, to make sure that we understand God and we, we receive him, we receive him for who he is, not for who we might imagine him to be. Very important. I have a verse that I want to share with you, a key verse. John chapter 1, 11 through 12, before we get into Luke. John says, he, Jesus, came to his own. And his own did not receive him. There we see the rejection by his own people. Verse 12, but as many as do receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So the Lord came to his own, 
to the nation of Israel. He was rejected by them. But ever since the beginning, God has always made an exception or allowed for not just Jews to come to him in faith. And that's where we come in. But those who do receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's who we are, children of God. But we see the rejection and then some people receiving him. So let's get right to it. I told you about what's going on here in Luke chapter 4. Last week we mentioned uh, the, the first portion of chapter 4 of Luke about the Lord being tested. And we talked about temptation just as a small recap there. And um, I pretty much said everything already that I wanted to share in my introduction. So let's get right to our points. All right. So I'm not going to read the whole thing and go back. What I'm going to do instead, we're going to take each point and then read that portion. And we will read all the way to verse 30 once we're done with our three points. So let's talk about hometown rejection. Some of the application that we're going to find here is that as the Lord was rejected by his own people, even by his own family, his own town, you and I, as we are followers of Christ and we live according to how God wants us to live, we shouldn't be surprised that we too will receive or find that we'll be rejected by many people, including people that are very close to us. And I'm going to talk about that throughout the message. So let's talk about the first point, our Lord's return home. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 17 to start off here. Luke 4, 14 through 17 to talk about the return home. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on, on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And I'm going to stop right there. Just to talk about the fact that here is the Lord by being filled with the Spirit. He returns home. Right? He, and he lives. Galilee is a region where Nazareth is found. And it's north of Jerusalem where the Lord had gone to celebrate the Passover. And, and there he turned the tables right at the beginning of his earthly ministry. He's baptized. He turns the tables. He performs a couple of miracles, and so some of that fame is already getting around to Galilee and even to Jerusalem, but Luke doesn't talk about that a whole lot. You have to read John chapter 2 through 4 to see that. And so he returns home, and it's, it's interesting. Well, one of the things that I want to do as well is I want to share with you my dad's story, and I'm going to intermingle it here. My dad became a Christian back in 1976 when I was just a baby through a co-worker. But one of the things that happened is we lived here for five years during that time. My dad becomes a Christian. He's the first one in his family to become a Christian. Everybody in his family, Catholic, they've always been Catholic. And here's my dad meeting the Lord, accepting him as Lord and Savior. He becomes a Christian. And then something happens. He begins to grow in the word and knowledge and he gets this burning sensation that he wants to go back home to his friends and many family that he had in Mexico to share the gospel with them. And so there we go. I graduated kinder, top of my class. I, I don't remember. Hardly remember anything from there. 
Um, after, after kinder, I had just started first grade, like the first week of first grade, and we moved to, to Mexico where we're from. And my dad's desire was to go back and share with them what he had found. Isn't that awesome? Uh, his kids didn't think it was that awesome, of course, and I'm sure his wife, my mom, didn't think it was that great. Like, here we go, uprooting and moving again, countries. And, but I think we all understood at some level, at least, that his intentions were right. He found the greatest thing ever, and he wanted to go back home to share that with his family and friends, beloved. And I think that's really powerful. Here we have the Lord going back to his hometown, and as it was customary, he would go to the synagogue, which was their, their, temp, their temple, their mini temple, and they would read the scripture. And it was customary for him to do. And keep in mind, he had done that since he was a child, right? In Luke, earlier we read how when he was 12 years old, he went to Jerusalem, and he was kind of asking questions and answering and, and talking theology with the, with the main religious people, and everybody was amazed that this 12-year-old was able to chat you know, with them, and they, they thought it was something special. And, and then Luke tells us that he goes back home, he, he's subject to his parents, and he grows in wisdom and in favor with God and with other people. So Nazareth is a small town, very humble, and so everybody would have known who he was. Let's say for sure, from age 12 to age 18, he would go to the temple, he would interact, and, and there he was going back and doing what he had done before. And I think that's really, really important. So it says in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went into the synagogue on, Sab on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. But something interesting happened. In John chapter 7, verse 5, I'm going to share that verse with you. It says that even his brothers did not believe him. And it's super interesting to me how it is that our Lord has at least four brothers and at least two sisters I mean, can you even begin to imagine what it would have been like to have Joseph, his stepdad, Mary, and then all these siblings, and there's the Son of God growing up next to you? I mean, sibling rivalry, I'm sure, were they competitive? Were they, did they dislike him because he never did anything wrong? I mean, nothing ever? Some of you guys have siblings like that, and you don't like them that much. Or maybe you're that sibling, right? Never did anything wrong. Everybody else got disciplined, but not you. Maybe that was you. Um, I don't think that was me, sort of. Uh, and, and in verse 5, chapter 7 of John, it says, even his brothers did not believe him. So he comes back. They have now heard about him doing these miracles, but it's all word of mouth. And if you read John, they... they they confront him. They're like, aren't you going to do some miracles? Like, why don't, you, why don't you show yourself to the world if you're the Messiah? The Bible tells us plainly, not only did he have siblings, but they did not believe in him. It says it plainly. And, and there, even in his own family, the people closest to him, he, he begins to experience this rejection that we're going to talk about. So we just wanted to talk about the fact that he returns home. And I want to share with you also 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. 1 Corinthians, sorry, it's 2 Corinthians 5.16. I don't know why I put first on my notes. It's 2 Corinthians 5.16. It says, therefore, from now on, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, we all have brothers, sisters, moms, dads, nephews, nieces. He goes, but in Christ, in the next verse, he says, we are new creations. 
And even these family ties, we don't know each other that way anymore. And you might remember in one of the Gospels where the Lord is speaking in one of the houses and, and, and his mom and his siblings come and they, they can't get to him, so they send word to him and say, hey, can you let Jesus know that his family's outside? And then the, the person goes and says, hey, Lord, the, uh, your mom and your brothers and sisters are there. Your family's here. And he says, who's my family? Who's my brother? Who's my mother? If not those who do the will of God. And so we see that even the Lord, even though he had physically he had half-brothers, half-sisters, he had a mother and a, and a stepdad, he considered the spiritual relationships the priority in his life. And I'm not going to get too much into that because I think that's something that all of us need to learn to navigate through, right? Especially if you have family that are non-believers, you probably have experienced that now they don't like you as much because now you're weird and you don't drink anymore, or you don't do this anymore. And, and then they start feeling like, oh, now you think you're better than us. And it's like, oh, no. And then, and then you don't hang out with us anymore because you're always at church. Some of you have experienced that. Um, and it's something that I think all of us need to learn how to navigate through. And that's, I think, where mentorship, growth groups, community comes in because Nobody has a corner on that. Nobody knows exactly how to behave in every situation all the time. But it's great to be able to have those conversations. That's something that we all share, learning how to navigate through physical relationships here on earth while us being part of God's family, which needs to take the priority. Nonetheless, he returns home and he starts to experience rejection. So let's get to point number two. This is very interesting. Point number two has to do with the reception at first, we see that the Lord is received at first. Let me share a couple of verses with you. In, in Luke chapter 4, um, verse 15, it says, And he, Jesus, our Lord, taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So as he was going through Galilee, he would go through different synagogues, and people glorified him because they heard him speak. And just the way he taught was special and he was glorified by all. Keep that in mind, all right? That's in Galilee, the bigger region around Nazareth. But then it says, he comes to Nazareth, and then verse 18. I'm going to read verses 18 uh, through 22. So verse 18, here the Lord is given a scroll. He stands up to read, and he finds this spot. And verse 18 for us, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And pay attention. We're going to come back to this. Pay attention to whom he was appointed to preach the gospel to. And keep in mind how people that are listening to him, that many of them are self-righteous. How would they take this, this news? It says, The Lord says, I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. You know, most people don't want to identify themselves in that category. Especially if you're a, you know, a churchgoer and you've been at church for a long time. You might be thinking like, oh, he came to preach the gospel to uh, those people. Hmm. Verse 20. And I think that was part of the rejection. Verse 20 says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, he began to, say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Which was amazing that he would say that because 
700 years before that, Isaiah writes this prophecy talking about the anointed one that is to come, the very Christ, and the Lord chooses that section, he reads it, and then he says, guess what? You know that thing that you've been read, that's been read for hundreds of years about the one that's going to be anointed, the one that is to come? He says, I'm he. And people understood what he was saying. He's saying, I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. And you can just imagine what people are starting to think. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So very interesting, even at Nazareth, when they heard him speak, they realized that even his words were gracious words, and he taught obviously in a very special way, and they were able to receive his words, but then something happens here. This is very interesting. They look at each other. They are amazed at his teaching. They are certainly amazed at the fact that he just proclaimed to be the very Messiah, the Christ. And then they look at each other, and they say, Wait a minute. Isn't this guy Joseph's son? And, and, and we can't tell exactly how they said it, but the implication is that they don't understand. They certainly don't accept the fact that they're looking at the Christ. And think about it. After 700 years, that prophecy being there, what are the chances that you're sitting there in this synagogue and the person that happens to read that portion happens to be the Christ? Besides, you kind of grew up with him and you've seen him grow up before you. So they don't understand that he is the Christ. And so they say to each other, I would imagine that they're almost saying like, who does he think he is? We know this guy. Isn't that Joseph's son? So they are only perceiving him in the physical realm. And I think that's what triggers the next portion. But before I get into the next portion, let's finish point number two, which is the reception at first. Let me tell you about my dad. So my dad was a fun guy, all right? My dad, a little strange. That's why I'm strange, all right? He passed away about eight years ago, uh, but many of you knew him. But he was really an exceptional kind of a person, very fun to be around with. Our family, our family, we're probably, my sister's right here, uh, and we're probably thinking like, huh, he wasn't that much fun. Well, not for us at home, of course, and even the Lord said it. But whenever there was a party, he was a great dancer, he, uh, he would um, jokester. He was a great athlete, a really great soccer player, uh, loved dominoes and just kind of hanging out. Uh, the only person growing up that I knew that loved uh, classical music, he was a great swimmer. He had all these things going for him that socially he was very well accepted. And so when, he, when we decide, when he decides to go back to Mexico and share the gospel with them, yeah, he's received by many because they're thinking like, hey, here's our captain of the soccer team. He's back. You know, he's our main goal scorer. And, and oh, we get to play dominoes at night. And oh, you know, bit of a life of the party. And my dad was very generous. That's where my siblings get their generosity from. Uh, if you know my brother Hector, my sister Nancy especially, they're like super giving people. And my dad was very much like that. And so in the physical sense, my dad was very well received by his friends. It's their buddy. He's back. I won't tell you what happened afterwards until I get to the third point when he starts preaching the gospel. But here the Lord Jesus Christ is received at first. 
I read 4.15 in Luke. Um, in uh, chapter 4, verse 22, I read that as well, so I'm not going to read that again. Luke 6.26, which we'll get to in a couple of months. Um, Luke, in Luke 6.26, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. The Lord is, see, the Lord knew what he was coming to. He wasn't expecting to be, he knew he was going to be rejected. He knew that his very people were going to have him crucified. He knew all of that. But as he teaches others that are going to want to be followers of his, he tells them, woe to you if you're well spoken of by everyone. Because the false prophets, that's how they were treated by by your forefathers. They loved the false prophets. But a prophet of God was always rejected. Galatians 1.10 says, the Apostle Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And boy, beloved, that's, this is like so much to say here. But what it comes down to is our job as followers of Christ is to follow him and to honor him. And that's going to come at a cost. And I'm not saying let's go out there and be hated by everyone. You don't have to try. All you have to do is try to live a godly life, and you're going to see how people will reject you. And we're not looking for the rejection. The Lord says they rejected me, they hated me. They're going to reject you and hate you as long as we live godly lives. And that's a little scary, beloved, because, yeah, we want to live at peace with everyone, but, it, but we should never desire to live at peace with people at the expense of sharing God's truth and God's gospel with them. And you have to understand that God's gospel, the gospel of God is offensive to them. We don't want to be offensive. We want to be servants to them and show them God's love. But, but we got to be careful because we're all going to at times shy away from really speaking truth to them in love. Because sometimes we'd rather be liked by them than hated by them, even though we're speaking truth to them. There's another thing that we all need to learn how to navigate through as Christians. Point number three. So much more to say about that, but we're not. Point number three, let's talk about the rejection by all. The rejection. So Luke chapter 23 through 30, I'm going to read that. It says, he said to them, So after they said, is this not Joseph's son? They're only perceiving the physical. He said to them, you will surely say the proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you you truly, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them was, was sent to them, sorry, but, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And you might be thinking, like, why is he saying that? And then he says about Naaman, verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So the Lord says that it's almost to instigate, to provoke them 
to understand what he's really saying and who he really is. So they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't the guy we all know? And the Lord says, look, I know you're not going to accept me because no prophet is accepted in their own town. And he goes, and then he tells the story of a widow that Elijah was sent to, and Elijah is one of Israel's greatest prophets. And then Elisha was sent to Naaman, or Naaman was sent to Elijah to heal Naaman, the Syrian commander. He was a leper. And the Lord says, you know, there was a lot of Jewish people that were lepers and a lot of, a lot of Jewish widows that God could have sent Elijah and Elisha to. But he says, but he didn't. And Jesus is telling them about the rejection of Israel, how God, instead of dealing with Israel and blessing them because of their unbelief and their hardness of heart, the Lord has at times forsaken Israel in order to bless Gentiles. And to us, that might seem like, what's a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because here they are, religious leaders that feel that their nationality, their, their, uh, the fact that they're descendants of Abraham, they feel this sense of entitlement. And when Jesus says, look, look at your history. Because of your unbelief, God would rather heal Syrians and send the greatest prophets to widows who are not Jewish. So he's telling them indirectly, you guys are the problem. It's not the Messiah. It's not the Christ. It's not the scriptures. You have a hard heart that you can't see who I am truly. You're just seeing me with the physical. You're not seeing me in the spiritual, really who I am. And God has always done the same thing. And so he's almost proclaiming his rejection as the Christ, his rejection of these people who are not able to perceive or are unwilling to receive the Christ as he is. See, the Jewish nation was waiting for a Messiah, but they thought it was going to be a military commander to liberate them from the Roman government. But Jesus kingdom is not an earthly one so the rejection by all so what happens when my dad becomes a christian gets baptized and then starts sharing the gospel well unlike here he wasn't rejected by all by god's grace there were some people that came to know the lord through his ministry for five years in mexico but my dad experienced a lot of rejection especially from his immediate family when they heard that he was going to be baptized at the christian church they wanted nothing to do with him especially his father Especially his dad, my grandpa. But my grandpa came to know the Lord eventually. And so we're grateful for that. And many of my dad's family and friends. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, But here the Lord is being rejected. So let me finish reading here. Ah, Let me finish reading. Verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Man, what happened to glorifying him and his sweet words and and this nice guy that we all knew and grew up with? As soon as he started speaking the gospel and the truth, they were filled with wrath, and they immediately wanted to kill him, throw him off the cliff to his death. So when people dislike you because you're a Christian, make sure it's because you're a Christian and not because (laughs) you just happen to be a Christian and they dislike you. All right? But don't be surprised. They wanted to kill him that very day. But they weren't able to. Then passing through their myths in a supernatural way, 
he went on his way. The Lord was rejected in his very hometown from the very beginning. And supernaturally, he, was, he escaped death several times because he was to die on the cross of Calvary as it was prophesied. And not a minute before then. But beloved, we're going to experience rejection. We're going to experience hardship when we decide to follow the Lord. Isaiah 53.3 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. I read to you John 1, 11 and 12. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, he gave to them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And 1 Corinthians 1, 18 reminds us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, being per- who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Truth in its nature is divisive. We have to understand that. We live in a culture where there's relativism. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and let's just all get along and have this superficial, fake relationship in our society. And you see some of the outcomes of what's happening in our culture because all of a sudden, truth is no longer truth. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know how so many people have a problem with that? Why so narrow? So close-minded. That's God's grace letting us know there's one way, one truth, and one life, and it's found in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so for us, beloved, we're going to experience the rejection. We're going to experience the rejection, especially as we try to live out our faith with our teammates, with our friends at school, people that we grew up with. When you start, you know, repenting of your sins and, and, and turning your life around by God's grace and power and, and people are going to look at you and like, well, why don't you do that anymore? You know, we used to have so much fun ways to do this. And then you're going to feel bad because you're going to be like, well, I still want to hang out with my friends. And, and then you still have a responsibility to be the light unto them. And so how do you navigate that? Whew. Well, you come to church, for one. This is like our holy huddle right here. Right? But the action is not at the huddle. The action is when we leave here. So here we come and we praise God and we worship together, we fellowship, we get to know each other, and we get encouraged unto loving good works so that we can leave here and be God's light and salt. And beloved, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has done, that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of us are that. And it's going to cost us, and it's going to cost us differently But the Lord would say it should cost you all. But what I would submit to you is that it's worth it. No matter what you find yourself giving up in this life, the Lord will reward you for that as you seek him. So don't ever be afraid to walk away from a sin, to walk away from a situation, to walk away from a potential, you know, financial situation. situation or to walk away from a relationship or to walk away from from a dream of yours if you know that it is God leading you unto Christ likeness for his glory it's worth it when you serve at our church the enemy's going to come around and say like why do you have to do that there's so many people that can do that and 
I don't want to take care of little kids. I do that at home all week or whatever it is. Understand that it's worth it. Understand that even being rejected by your own family, even rejecting yourself where yourself is telling you, don't do it. It's worth it. We do it because it's worth it. The Lord understood the cost and he was willing to forego the shame and the pain for his father's glory and for his eternal purposes, and in those purposes we find ourselves in. And he calls us to follow him and to leave everything behind and say, you are my everything. You are my all in all. Wherever you send me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. And when we live like that, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Not everybody's going to like you, but you heard it here, so don't be surprised. But that's why you come back to the huddle and you hear the words of God to inspire you and to encourage you and to uplift you and equip you so that when you go out and you experience rejection and you go out and you experience loss because you're following the Lord, it's going to be okay because we're living to glorify God. The Lord bless you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful to you for all of your blessings. Thank you for allowing us this time together. Thank you for bringing everyone who's here. Nobody's here by accident. Uh, we, We are grateful as we see, Father, how... You were willing to send your son, knowing that he would be rejected. But he also knew that there would be a few of us, Father, that would, by your grace, come to an understanding of your love and your grace. And we would accept what Jesus Christ, our Lord, did for us on our behalf at the cross of Calvary. We are forever grateful for that. We pray that you would strengthen us, guide us, protect us in a way that will bring honor and glory to you, Father. Help us to be emboldened and encouraged to go out and be the light and be the salt in this world that needs to hear the gospel. And if we get rejected, if we get ridiculed, if we become outcasts, that it would be for your honor and glory, Father. We pray this in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.